Hi, everybody. It's Jeannie Faulkner. You're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast. Thank you guys for coming back and joining this big old conversation of ours where we talk about parenting, pregnancy, healthcare, and feminism, the whole enchilada. And there's so much to talk about, right? I'm going to totally cut everyone some slack this week and not talk about news headlines and politics at all. Not even at all. You're welcome. Instead, I want to answer a couple of listener emails and then revisit a really important conversation we had here on the podcast last year. Um, First of all, I want to say thanks for buying my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, um, which came out uh, 2015, Penguin Random House. Sales are up right now, and I'm really happy about that. Um, I I heard from a doctor's office. Uh, They contacted me this week and told me that they're going to give a copy of my book out to all their newly pregnant patients as a welcome gift, and I just love that. I know there are other books out there that are super popular and have been considered the Bible for all pregnancy info, but honestly, they're outdated, they're out of touch, they're kind of fear-based, and they don't talk about some of the real obstacles and challenges women face when they're getting prenatal and maternal health care. And, you know, that's what's a bit different about my book. I'm a labor and delivery nurse, and I've been a health journalist forever. I've had four babies, and I know what's going on, both inside and outside the hospital. And let me tell you, our healthcare system isn't exactly set up to put the patient first. We'd like to think it is. We like to we talk about, you know, providing good patient care. But really, in most settings, insurance providers come first, both malpractice insurance and health insurance. They have a whole lot to say about how women are treated during their pregnancies and births, and a lot of their mandates and standards have nothing to do with patient health. Read the book or listen back on a few episodes of this here podcast, and you'll know what I'm talking about. So let's get to some email. Leanne wrote, I'm pregnant and I don't like it. I don't, didn't want to get pregnant, but it happened, and now I don't know what to do. I don't want an abortion, and I don't want to adopt. I'm married, and my husband is really excited. My mom tells me I'll come around, but I'm not so sure. What should I do? Oh, and I'm not depressed or anything in real life. I work, I have friends, plenty of family nearby, and I'm fine financially. Really, I'd probably make a good mom, but I just don't want to be one. Yet. What should I do? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, Leanne, honey, I so get this. Um, you know, I've had a couple surprise pregnancies, too, and they can hit you like a ton of bricks. I've had times during my planned pregnancies where I felt like I don't want to either. And I think that's super smart. Because seriously, this is big, big, heavy stuff. Huge responsibility plus nausea. If you're not feeling a bit ambivalent, I don't know what you're thinking. I've actually, I've written quite a bit about this in the book. And our guest conversation today has a lot of insightful things to say about it too. So hopefully something we say will resonate with you. That what you're going through is probably normal. Though still worthy of a whole lot of support. It sounds like you've decided to continue this pregnancy, and I'm glad your husband is excited about it. You can ride on his happiness for a while. I kind of agree with your mother that you'll come around. Most of us do, and almost always it turns out just fine. You too will love your child in ridiculous measure for the rest of its life, even though you probably feel like crap right now. Now, if you find that you really can't turn this funk around, or you think you could use some help sorting all these complicated feelings out, here's what I want you to do. I'd like you to see a therapist who has some experience with the transition to motherhood. Someone who knows something about postpartum depression, maybe. Yeah, I know, you're not postpartum yet, and you said you're not depressed, and I totally believe you. But many of the issues that cause postpartum depression, the isolation, the bewilderment, the discomfort, the fatigue, the insecurity, the anxiety, all that brand new mama stuff. It can be part of a normal pregnancy too. And it's good to get some perspective and some coping skills from someone who knows what this is like. 
You might want to ask your midwife or your obstetrician for some good references. And I'd really like to recommend, Leanne, that if you're a healthy woman, start your prenatal care with a midwife. I think you'll be happier with the kind of personal support and attention you get and the amount of time they can spend with you. Um, And then, you know, <laughs> listen to this whole darn podcast because, Leanne, this one's for you. Uh, let's see. One more email. And this one's super short and snappy. Hey, I listened to a whole lot of your pods already and I want to know something. Do you think every mother should breastfeed no matter what? Signed, Allie. Hey, Allie. Nope, I don't. I think most women should give it a good try and that with the right support, most women can be successful. Some women hate it. Some have trouble with breastfeeding that they just can't overcome. Some women have had breast surgeries that make it difficult or impossible. And some women, like myself, get sick and can't. No judgment. Do what you got to do and cut yourself and every woman you know some slack on that decision. And again, read up in the book. Um, I write a lot about this in chapter 16 in the section titled Breast versus Bottle, Battle Lines and Peace Treaties. Go give it a good read. Um, and, you know, you'll get my... You'll get my take on it. I think essentially what I said. Yeah, most people, most women can be successful. Not everybody. And that's cool. Okay, so let's get to our guest. I first aired this episode back in 2015, and it's one that's resonated far and wide. Jen Pasteloff is one of my favorite people. So let's listen to what she has to say. Hi, Jen. It's Jeannie. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. You had a little headache? Just a little one. Yeah. Nursing it with a little tea. Always the best stuff. I'm about ready for a little cup myself. (laughs) Yeah. So, Jen, we have a lot to talk about. We do. Yeah. So... You have a complicated bio. I mean, with a lot of people, you can just kind of rattle it off. You know, this person is a MD and that person is an accountant. But you're an author, a yoga professional, a public speaker, and a whole lot more. And um, it's so individual and multifaceted. I think you should introduce yourself. Well, hello there. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Jen Pasilov. And let me see, how can I do this? I I can read my... Instagram. Follow me on Instagram at Jen Pastorov. My bio there, or my little profile says Waymaker, Rule Breaker, Shame Buster, Bullshit Eliminator, Lip Reader, and um, Truth Teller. So, yoga professional, I don't know about that. I teach a couple yoga classes, <laughs> but um, I use yoga in my workshops. I just lead around the world that uh, combine yoga and writing. You've been. Mm-hmm. I use yoga to get the body, to get people connected to their body, to get them more vulnerable and open and to give it a context. Um, I am a writer and I encourage people to defy the idea that we need to fit into categories. So, it's always challenging because I really don't fit into one. So, it's always like, walk the talk Jen but it is hard to describe what I do I usually just say I'm a writer (laughs) Um, but I suppose a lot of people think of me as a sort of motivational speaker in a way yeah kind of thing you know with my online platform and what I do in person and then I I created um, an empowerment movement for young girls called girl power you are enough which pretty much what I'm doing with adults just trying to get at them younger with this message so I do a lot. You do. You do a lot. And yet here I am in my bed on a, I don't know, Tuesday at 3.30. So. Well, you know what? <laughs> I, I call myself a writer too. And yet it's sort of a lame title for all the different facets of what goes into my career. And Exactly. Uh, it works. <laughs> but, but the writer part means that we get to be, you know, in our, I'm in my home office on my little couch. Exactly. Making a podcast <laughs> with you. Wearing my sneakers. It's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, there's my phone making a little ding. Turn off the sound. So you and I met through a mutual friend um, a couple years or more ago. And she knew that you were going through a rough time with your first pregnancy. And she recommended that we chat since I have the labor and delivery nurse thing going on. Um, And you were dealing with a lot at that time. Are you okay talking about it? Yeah. I mean, it's... it's 
interesting. It wasn't so much as, hmm, how can I word this? I am very vocal about about my thoughts on like having having kids or not having kids and how perfectly fine it is and okay if people choose not to. And I, I thought I was in that camp. And a couple years ago, I started feeling pressure from people, um, society, you know, you, you should start trying, you should start trying. And I, I didn't really know what I wanted. I didn't think I, I didn't think I did, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure. So I thought, and, naively, and you were about 38 then? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I thought naively, okay, all my friends and all the professionals say it'll probably take a year. It'll probably be really hard. You better start trying all the fear. So, um, my husband and I tried one time and I got pregnant and <laughs> mind you, I had literally like that week just got off antidepressants. So I find out I'm pregnant. I didn't really want to be, it was more just like, I could say I've been trying, you know, like, ridiculous. And, and then finding out I'm pregnant on, uh, in this mental state I was in, um, and so I was not excited to be pregnant, but you know, eventually I was like, all right, I'm sure I'll come around. And I think that's why she connected us. Um, I was scared. I was, I was anxious. I was depressed. Yeah. And then, um, we did that podcast together. Um, and I, it's funny because I think when, when I originally did the pot, we, or not podcast, whatever, it was like some, some did a video thing. Video. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I was pregnant when I first got asked to do that. I think it was about body image. <laughs> and then it turned out I was pregnant. Yeah. Um, but then the complication came because it ended up being ectopic. Yeah. Which, you know, we can, I, I think that um, we'll talk a little bit more about what it means to have an ectopic pregnancy um, offline. Um, but But that really was... I think for me, what I remember the most was the ambivalence. And I hope that I let you know at that time how completely normal that is. You during, did. During you did. Any, oh, good. Good. You did. But, but, you know, it... Um, so, you did. And I... And when it was a topic, I, I wrote an essay about it that was, you know, pretty uh, truthful. And I talked in it about the, you know, little bit of grief, but really the relief um, because I still didn't know what I wanted. And I thought, like, I really thought there'd be a moment of clarity. And I think for a lot of women there is. You know, I, I know I want kids. I know I do not want kids, one or the other. And I and I think it's a lot of it is personality. And just in general, I have a hard time making decisions and with anxiety. So, um, <laughs> And there's the such only... a cornucopia of options out there in the world. How can you choose well, you, I couldn't. And yeah. so what I did was I decided that I was going to let it be, as it were. And that's exactly what I did. And literally the minute I said that, I got pregnant. And it took that happening to two years later. Um, and in the interim, after I had the ectopic, and then I broke my foot, I went back on antidepressants because I realized um, I needed to be, you know, mm -hmm. I'm clinically depressed and it, it doesn't work for me at all being off. So I will be going off. I'm on Prozac. I will be going off soon. So, you know, I'll be needing support then, I'm sure. And yeah. I'm really open and honest about that because I, it's not something I hear a lot of people talking about, especially not a yoga teacher. <laughs> oh, I know. I know that's I think that that's one of the most um, the I don't know if brave is the right word, but it's one of the things that I appreciate about you most is there are, you know, thousands of American women who are on antidepressants before, during and after their pregnancies, um, if not millions, even. I don't know what the number is. I don't either. But but it's just not something that we talk about. And I thought, you know what, if I can help one person not be as afraid as I was. So. So, you know, the ambivalence was still there. It was still there. But this time when I was pregnant, I didn't freak out like two years ago. And then, you know, uh, I, had all, I had a big scare a few weeks ago because I, I had some testing done. And it turned out the baby might have a genetic disease. So I had to have a CVS, which is like an amnio when you're in your early stages. And it was terrifying. But everything turned out good. And now I'm really, really excited and I'm really vocal still, though, about my how ambivalent I was and how I didn't know. And this just happened and um, how it's not OK to just, you know, assume that a woman wants or can have children. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your saying that. I think the I, ambivalence thing is so um, 
you know, women don't talk about it. I know that, you know, I've, I've delivered, I've got a bunch of kids and (laughs) half the time when I found out that I was pregnant, um, and it was the times where I hadn't planned that pregnancy, my initial feeling was not elation. Matter of fact, I think I cried with just overwhelm and, oh my God, and how did it, you know, right, right. all of it, and, all of it. Yeah. I mean, I think, look, I think there's people who, who are going through IVF and who are trying and trying and trying. And that was not obviously for you, that was not your circumstance and that was not mine. Mm-hmm. But, and that I understand the absolute elation, but you know, when you're in a situation like I am, where you're living in a one bedroom apartment and you're 40 and you travel for a living and, and you already have a very indecisive personality and deal with depression and there's every, you know, there's every um, viable reason that says don't. For me, the only way it was going to happen is if it just happened. Yeah. <laughs> like magic. Yeah. And, and it did. I mean, it was like, it was, I knew if I had to do IVF, if I had to do any of that, that I, that was my, my sign that was going to say, not for you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yet some little being decided that yeah. He was for you. He did decide that. And now I couldn't I couldn't be you know happier and I'm so excited and I'm oddly um calm. Like I, I really don't have any idea what I'm gonna do and I don't know if it's the hormones or what have you, but I'm like really grounded and calm and not worried about it. I really um have that deep belief that it's gonna be okay. And I'm excited because I feel like there's a plethora of things for me to talk about now in my writing and in my, with my, you know, quote unquote following and my Instagram and the, it's really a whole new world has opened up. Yeah. Yeah. You're entering an exclusive club. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the sisterhood and motherhood. Yeah. But, and also with the angle with, with my, um, you know, kind of truth telling in a way that, of course, there are some people, but but not many, I think, really just telling the truth about certain things. Yeah. We love that about you, Jen. Well, thanks. <laughs> it's just, you know, there's always going to be someone that's pissed off and, and not agree with me. But then if there wasn't, I, I'm not doing something right. So. Right. <laughs> and, you know, you're, you'll, you'll find that some of the subjects that come up with pregnancy and, and being a mom can be some of the most contentious, especially online. Oh, my God. Oh, it's, it's terrible. And yeah. the other day I posted on my personal Facebook, I go, I hate mean people, um, unsolicited advice and bell peppers. I've gotten uh, more unsolicited advice lately. It's insane. Yeah. And so like, that's, I'm not looking forward to that. Yeah. Or people touching my belly, you know, that kind of thing. That's weird to me. Unless it's like, you know me and you ask me, yeah. you know how people just like, I'm not showing it besides my chest, but like, I'm not, I'm not looking forward to that. Yeah. So I've had conversations with countless women about those two things and what can you do about it? And, you know, it, it's so culturally ingrained that people want to share in your experience um, and they want to share their experience and they do it sometimes inappropriately by telling you the scary stuff that happened to them or touching you, you know, when you're not asking for it or... Um, giving you advice or they'll come at you and say, oh, well, you better do this and this now because once you have that kid, honey, you know, it's. Oh, my God, that that's that's actually probably the thing I get the most, especially because of my lifestyle, because of how much I travel and, you know, in the way I'm like, I'm in my bed in the middle of the day. And so it's like there's like that fear. I better do it now. You better you better travel now. You better write that book now. You better do everything now because once that baby comes, forget it. Yeah. You know what I say to that? Bullshit, bullshit. You'll find a way to do whatever you want to do. I agree. Yeah. And babies are so portable. I know. I have an Italy retreat in September, the end of September, and the babies do around June 4th. So, hey. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you're in a a married relationship. So Mm -hmm. you've you've got a co-parent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I do, for sure. And he's great. Yeah. God, I couldn't do it alone. I mean, I bow down to people that do it alone because already, like even going through the testing I went through and the emotional stuff, it's amazing to me to think that people go through this. And I know people have friends and everything, but I I feel very grateful. And I just bow down to single parents. Me too. I'm so grateful to have my husband to pass off to. Yeah. I I have vivid memories of the very early days of being a first-time mom and... um. 
you know, he was back at work and I was home with the baby and he would walk in the door at five, six o'clock and I would hand the baby over to him and walk out the door. That's hilarious. Walk, you know, just, I needed that kind of actual break where you, you did the pass and I took off for a little bit. And then when I came back, we could do it together. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So that may be your solution right there. You'll figure it out. Figuring it out. That's yeah. what I plan to do. Because, you know, I've, I've learned by now that the myth of control is exactly that, a myth. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm going to save a little bit of time and, and trying to control all the scenarios in my mind before they happen. Yeah. And the myth of control also comes down to you don't actually know who you are having. You know, that, that myth of control extends all the way through your parenting years. Yeah. And, and a lot of parents, especially maybe, I don't know, especially nothing, but a lot of parents think that it is all about your parenting style or your lifestyle or the incidences that happen in your child's life that make or break him as a human being. And I think that that's actually sort of the least of it. I think hmm. that, you know, kids are born who they are. Yeah. And it's just our job as their parents, as their mothers, to guide them into being that person. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So you had a big week. You were on stage last week with Lena Dunham. I was. That was pretty great. Mm-hmm. So tell me, what was that event? It was a variety a talent show. And um, it was the host of it was something called the Allied Coalition. And it was a fundraiser for homeless youth, um, lesbian, gay, trans, homeless youth. And mm-hmm. so a bunch of people, Lena um, and her boyfriend, who's an amazing singer named Jack Antonoff, he blew me away. He's in a group called The Bleachers and um, Sarah Bareilles and L King and um, Fred Armisen, who's, you know, on Portlandia. I couldn't live in Portland without knowing who he is. Yeah, I know. I was in Because I showed a few of my friends. I, mean, I thought everyone in the world knows him. And um, and one friend was like, oh, oh, wait, was he on Saturday Night Live? I'm like, well, yeah, but Portlandia. <laughs> um, and, you know, just there was just Kevin Devine. There was just some in- incredible, incredible talents. Jacqueline Novak, just a bunch of comedians and, and um singers and and then there was me who lena invited me to come you know she she said you know do you want to do a story or monologue and i i read from i kind of did a mashup i read from a book i'm in called shades of blue which is an anthology on uh, depression Mm -hmm. so i read about depression and you know telling the truth about that about being a quote-unquote inspirational figure not that i would ever barf call myself that but people call me that and Mm -hmm. you know so being being that and struggling with depression and meds. And then I kind of matched it up with this other thing about how most of us feel like frauds and like we're never doing enough and that's a crack of shit. And um, what if we saw ourselves the way others saw us? And so I just matched up, you know, sort of this idea of being human that I talk about in my workshops a lot. And she introduced me and stayed on stage with me. And it was really, um, it was absolutely incredible and one of the best nights of my life. And it felt utterly natural being up there. So I thought that was a really cool thing that yeah. it felt so natural, you know? So I saw a little a clip from that where you were on stage with Lena Dunham and you, you essentially boiled your message down to two statements. Don't be an asshole and how can I serve? Yeah. And well, you, you okay. Cause I did see your, you sent me a little email first and uh, I, but I did also, I didn't know what she was going to ask me. So of course, after I was like, I have a million things I could have said. Um, but the, actually the most important one was I also said, um, you know, I have this quote, which is at the end of my life, when I ask one final, what have I done? Let my answer be, I have done love. And so I said, I said, the, I have done love is the most important thing and not, and not to, you know, be confused that it's our job or being on stage here or our car or downward dog that matters at the end of the day, it's love. So, so that, this is so, a side note though, and we yes. can come back to it, but I want to know why do you say I have done love instead of I have loved? Oh, um, because it comes from an essay and the title of the essay, it all ties in, but the title of the essay was what have I done? And that was a recurring theme um, throughout the the 
essay, which was like, how did I get here? What have I done? And so the last line, it says, um, in the end of my life, when I ask one final, what have I done? So I'm just trying to match the language. I have done love. Uh, I get uh, it. I, I've done Facebook. I've done, you know, a really lot of money. You know, um, I've done love. I love it. And, and you know what? It really works. It works as a tagline. It's, I, I just think it sounds better. I have loved is so common. I have done love. It's mine. You yeah, know? yeah, love yeah. It. I love that. So tell me about Don't Be an Asshole and How Can I Serve? So Don't Be an Asshole started, it was just sort of like a joke, um, but it's really a way to, with a sense of humor, hold ourselves accountable to be better versions of ourselves, you know, and be kind and, and to not be an asshole. And I think it's, I just think it's so important um, not to, not to be an asshole to ourselves or out there, you know, yeah. it's not about calling anyone else an asshole. It's really, it's really being kind, you know, and, and being the person you say you are. And then how may I serve really is, is what I learned from Wayne Dyer about living, living your life, being of service. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's so important to wake up every day and ask that, how may I serve? How may I serve? And I do, I do think that those, those are the, there's a lot of messages. Um, when Lena asked me, to come she said you know the audience needs your message and immediately I was like which one <laughs> but um but they, they all they all really tie in together yeah yeah so Wayne D- Dwyer was um he had a little bit of a, a foresight where you're concerned didn't he well he you know he um he has eight kids mm-hmm. <laughs> and a bunch of them I'm good friends with and he um he asked me about um, like a year a year ago, October, if I had kids, and I told him I'd had the ectopic, and I didn't think I was going to. I didn't know, and he said, "Well, it's not up to you anyway." <laughs> but you know, he's he was he passed away in um, August, yeah, and he's very spiritual, and, and that's that is what he would say, you know. Yeah. So it was it was pretty awesome that he actually said it to me, but it, that's his beliefs, you know, sure. are really. Um, Sure. Yeah. So really all about God. So I want to know more about Girl Power, You Are Enough. Well, it um I started, you know, I do these workshops all around and So maybe that's a good place to start is tell me about the workshops and retreats. The workshops and retreats started. I started um, teaching yoga, even though I, I didn't want to be a yoga teacher, but I sort of had this nervous breakdown. I had been waitressing at the same place for 13 years, and I, um, my friend suggested become a yoga teacher, and I didn't want to. And then I went on antidepressants, and all of a sudden, life seemed a little more bearable. And I thought, maybe I will do a yoga teacher training, and I did. And I still didn't want to be a yoga teacher, but... I taught one class and I was like, hmm, I'm good at this. And I, I quickly got successful by that, meaning I could quit the restaurant. Um, it's not because I'm spectacular at yoga, because I'm, a, I'm not at all, but I'm a good teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, that's what I always thought I would do. I thought I would be in academia, though. But um, anyway, so then I started getting really creative and I started coming back to my writing, which is what I always had done at NYU and Bucknell and, and always since I'm a child writing. So I started getting back to my writing and developing this kind of following on Facebook. It started and writing blogs and, and, and stuff. And, um, I started combining the yoga with the writing in a workshop. And then I just expanded on it and got more creative and more, um, nonlinear, and traveling around with it and somehow I do it and I sell out everywhere I go and it's a miracle and I never quite understand how it happened because you can't even really describe it or what to call it <laughs> but it involves you know sharing out loud and getting out of your comfort zone or sometimes singing and dancing and using your body and um talking about your fears and letting go and it's just this beautiful human experience so young girls I noticed started coming more and more. And I always had the idea I would love to work with, with girls. And they just started showing up. And I thought, that's funny. Like their moms were sending them. Mm-hmm. You know, how old are you guys? 16? How, how are you here? My mom follows you. Okay. So I They came without their moms? Yes. Hmm. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think... Because, like, especially if the mom follows me or has been in my workshop, they know that their daughters will open up more if they're not in the room. Oh, yeah. 
Um, so true. Yeah, and then the moms trust me. They follow me, and they they are digging what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. They're picking up what I'm putting down, mm-hmm. and you know the. And they and want course, it for their daughters. Yeah, and you know what? I, I, unsolicited advice. I get probably like. I haven't this week, but I always get messages about how I should clean up my language or phone and work with young girls. And, and then I, you know, I feel bad about myself and I think about it. And then I think it's bullshit because yeah. it, it just is, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to change how I talk. I will try to drop fewer F-bombs, but that's what they love about me, the girls. Yeah. That I talk to them just like I talk to any of my friends. And you know what? That's they know. They know those words. Shit, fuck, and all the rest are just part of the common cultural vernacular. We can use them, especially if we use them appropriately. Even yeah, like, women. Yeah. No, just like the "don't be an asshole" thing. I'm not going to stop yeah. saying that just because they're teenagers. So, I was with my friend in Princeton. She owns a yoga studio, and I said, "You know, I really want to do. These girls are coming. I want to do a workshop just for girls." And she said, oh, "Well, I did a yoga workshop for girls. I called it Girl Power." And I said, "I love that." And and then I said, let's think of a subtitle. And I, I thought, you are enough. Because what I realized in my workshops um, with adults is that that was a common thread through every workshop and almost every person. And somewhere or another, the message that they were sharing was they didn't feel like they were enough. And even I, I have this, I'm on this um, thing called 108 TV. I have a bunch of yoga classes and some meditations. My one called You Are Enough thousands of downloads. Anytime I post that, thousands of likes. That really resonates with people. Hmm. And so I struck a nerve. And then I decided, okay, I didn't really know how I was going to do it. Um, How much was I going to have to change? And truth be told, it's pretty much the same exact workshop I do with adults. Um, So I've only done two so far. And one was a bit easier. One was 13 and up and one was 16 and up. And the older girls were a bit easier. And I may from now on just do 16 and up because Mm -hmm. um, it was, it was, they were easier to access a bit and more willing to be vulnerable and not as subconscious. And um, I I just think it was, I don't know, I'm still experimenting. I think that the 13, 14, 15 years are so just exquisitely self conscious years. I mean, it it was developmentally, that's where they're at. It was wild. And, but I'll tell you, the you are enough. I mean, the same thing, the same thing. They're saying the same things as the adults were saying. And, um, you know, just this obsession with caring what people think that does not go away in adulthood for a lot of people. Right. So the workshops are, you know, the workshops. And then I created an Instagram and there's an online movement. And it's really something that I want to just keep going and spread this idea of empowerment. And I have some, you know, girl power, you are enough commandments. And it's about the, the nobleness, nobility of being a good friend and of lifting other women up and of having these, you know, sacred friendships and sisterhood instead of jealousy and comparison and not basing your self-worth on what you look like or your Instagram likes or your weight and not gossiping or creating drama, you know, all these, these, um, these ideas that are, I don't know, I think important for all of us, but young people, especially. Yeah. yeah. Mostly women. Mostly women are attracted yeah. to your message. I know that when I came to your workshop in Seattle, my husband came with me and he was the only guy there. It's often like that. I mm-hmm. mean, I love my retreats that are all women. My, um, I, I, do, I do one with Lydia Yurkinovich, who's a Portland based author, a wonderful, wonderful writer. And ours are always all women and it's magic. The reason I don't make my workshop all women is because lately, especially, there are one, two, three men. I did one in L.A. two days ago, and there was one guy. And I don't I don't want to make it unavailable to him. Mm-hmm. And it really was beautiful having him there, and just mm-hmm. like when your husband came. And so, um, I, I, and I think it reminds us all what's possible to watch. Oh, yeah, look at how vulnerable a man is willing to be, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You don't want it to be so exclusive that you shut out some real beauty no but but some of some of the retreats like the overnight ones it does work better just to have women Mm -hmm. and I and I do love working with just women I love it I love it and it's so funny to see how how people a lot of people are programmed like oh my god you lead retreats with women that must be so hard so bitchy and (laughs) no it's never that's I've never had that experience you know isn't that funny oh you know so many things are cliche yeah 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 yeah. So 
So the workshops, the, the public speaking, all of it came out of manifestation. And in fact, that's what you call your website, manifestation. Yeah. So for those who don't understand what that is, let's explain. Um, I really, I really owe it to Wayne Dyer. I was waitressing and I was miserable. You know, I don't know if you guys listening can visualize, you know, 13 years at the same restaurant. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not, I bow down. Just like I bow down to single moms, I bow down to servers. Mm -hmm. But to be 13 years in the same restaurant when you are miserable and when you want to be creating and you're not, you're like a walking dead person, you know. Um, I was just stuck. So I was miserable. So I would listen to Wayne on my iPod at the time, my iPod. And um, as I would take these walks after work by the ocean, I lived by the ocean. My mom had been recommending him and I rolled my eyes until I finally heard him and then I became obsessed Mm -hmm. and I listened to him like every day and little by little what I realized is he started to change my life you know his it was like um it was like in my DNA um so when I finally did the yoga teacher training and then I finally led a retreat I had no idea what I was doing literally literally I turned Mm -hmm. around to I was in Ojai to like face the valley and I was like, let's, and this was really before the journaling. I think I had given them sticky notes, which a hairdresser of mine had given me that idea to like write, write what you're grateful for in a sticky note. And ever since then, I've used sticky notes. I think I had sticky notes and I was like, let's meditate on, and I'm facing the Ojai Valley and I'm going, I have no effing idea what I'm doing. And I said, let's meditate on what we're manifesting manifesting and as I said it my arm hair stood up and I thought oh my god that's what I've done and then it was like I was being channeled I was like and the rest is history it's crazy and I thought wow I mean he really changed my life without me knowing it so wait I'm curious about something when you say you were channeling does that mean that all of a sudden the experience was happening through you rather than you making the experience happen um I don't I don't know I mean I always, I kind of always say I get channeled. I feel like um, if you've ever seen me speak, you'll understand. It's it, like even like if you're in the car with me beforehand, I'm like, uh, I'm not prepared or whatever I say, and then it's like I start talking, and it's like it's coming from somewhere else. Yeah. So I don't know. That's how it feels to me. But what I think really is that it's I'm so connected, and it's so um, true for me and I'm passionate about it and I can just you know like right now I was literally like right before you called I was in bed my head hurt I was like I'm not even gonna be able to talk and then I started talking about something I care about or that's interesting and it's like you know I memorize a speech you know what I mean yeah so um it feels like I'm being channeled um well I often have not often but occasionally have the experience when I'm writing something where um, it will just come through me. And, you know, I write dozens of articles and blog posts and things like that per month. And I wouldn't say that most of them are channeled. But once in a while, there's that golden one where it just happens to you. Yeah. And all you got to do is get out of the way and type it. For sure. And a lot of writers talk about that. And, and, um, and that happens to me sometimes, but mm-hmm. I won't lie, just like you're saying, it's not all the time. No. And, and and I think sometimes, you know, I used to look for that and like wait for that. And I think that's BS. You know, I made a video once like, you know, don't wait for inspiration, just write because yeah. I've been waiting for inspiration for a couple of years now. Yeah. But I've yeah, heard, I've heard um, some younger writers or, or maybe they're writers who don't have to make their living this way <laughs> say that. They never write anything unless it comes to them that way. And I think that is just such crap because it's work. Do the work. Well, it's also, it's nonsense. And it's like, it's completely um, negating the idea of craft and of of just like, you know. Dedication and skill. It's it's not true. So No, it's not true. But but when I'm speaking, I do feel channeled. And I I don't know. And, you know, but you know what's funny? Wayne always says his books are written that way, like Mm -hmm. through him being channeled and Mm -hmm. Who knows? That man was so holy and spiritual and connected that probably he was, you know. Well, I I think a large part of what I've written in both my books, you know, the knowledge is mine, but the the writing of it, many parts of it just happened. 
I love that. I yeah. love it. I mean, imagine how wonderful it would be if that happened all the time every day, but that's not life. Oh God, I would love that if it did. And actually I structure my my work day so that I can encourage that to happen. I know that on the days when I meditate before I work, work comes easily. I mean, easier. Right. If it's a day where, you know, I'm taking kids to school and I'm walking the dog and I'm getting in, you know, doing a conference call and, you know, I, I miss that segment of my morning, the whole day feels like there's an extra weight of labor. And uh, that's my that's my way of dealing with it. Well, that, I mean, I think that meditation really encourages that, you know. I think that it, it encourages flow in everything. I mean, on the days that exactly. I meditate, it's easier to be me. It's easier to parent my children. It's easier to do my job. It's easier to be able to see how I can do God's work in the world. Exactly. Yeah. And I wish, wish, wish that I had started meditating and understanding that power at a much, much, much younger age. I wish. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, it happens when it happens, doesn't it? It does, you know, and, and I guess all we can do is do it now. And I, it's certainly, for me, not easy. But I, I think, um, I was thinking about that last night, how meditation is going to be so helpful for me once the baby is born. So I yeah. really need to get into a better, or let me not lie, a practice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. You know? I know. Of meditating. Yeah. I fall asleep, whatever. I don't know. I make up every excuse in the book, but but it's, um, I know, I know it's what I need. It, and It's a big help. Sure makes it easier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but back to the manifestation thing that, the, you know, Wayne's talks were about, like, you know, creating the life that you want and manifesting what you want. And although in the very beginning, it was like I was basically like regurgitating everything he said. And then over the years, I found my own voice and I thought, I believe in that. I don't resonate with that. That's not, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I just started doing my own thing. Mm -hmm. But I define manifesting as making shit happen. And yeah. so when I was that first retreat, when I was, you know, going, what the hell am I going to do? And then it came to me. Um, I had been miserable and just a couple months ago I was waitressing and like almost suicidal not quite but like in the darkest darkest place maybe I'll be a yoga teacher and here I am a couple months later 27 people come following me to listen to me and I was like you know what I, I did this I manifested yeah. this yeah and so it's pretty great you know and, and my website um, you can actually get their girlpoweryouareenough.com it redirects but it's um, it's not woo-woo or airy-fairy at all it's really a literary magazine mm -hmm. but I, I kept that it's the manifest station um, right. just to tie in with the, the branding of, of manifestation but it's not at all about like you know what are you manifesting or, or you know I mean once in a while there'll be a spiritual type of essay or what have you but it's, it's really um, nothing to do with that yeah well it's true to your roots it's what? It's true to your roots. Yeah, but I and I hardly write on it anymore. It's all other authors. It's really yeah. neat what it turned into. Yeah. So let's talk about your pregnancy a little bit more. Okay. Um What do you what is your prenatal care experience gonna be like? My prenatal care state, is that what experience. you said? Experience. Oh oh. So far it's been amazing i'm i'm at um cedar sinai which is here in los angeles and i wouldn't trade it for the world um mm -hmm. i haven't really thought as so far as labor um, most likely i am going to do it in the hospital with my doctor mm -hmm. i'm not gonna go for the you know being a yoga teacher people assume mm -hmm. and also want to give me every you know have it a bathtub and do you know do a home birth and um, and so I, I really have to stay like, I'm going to listen to myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm at Cedars and my doctors are, are amazing. I never want to leave. And, and they, they are attentive and kind and funny and on it and smart. And I wonder gentle. if I know them. Um, uh, my, 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 um, OBGYN, his name is Dr. Sulky and I have a girl crush on her. I love her. Don't and know her. And the guy who did my CVS, Dr. Williams, 
Um, he's done thousands and thousands. He's been doing it since the seventies. He was just, they're just amazing. And my regular doctor is there too, who's my favorite human on earth <laughs> for 20 years. He's been my doctor. I just, I, I think that the doctors are, have never experienced anything like them. So, and they're not paying me to say this. I'm paying them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are. You're paying them. So they're wonderful. I, lo- I write a lot in my book. Uh, actually, you know, kind of the premise of my book is the difference between a well-based pregnancy and a fear-based pregnancy. And a well-based pregnancy is one where you're doing everything in your power to promote your health. And it debunks the myth that health is something that is given to you by the medical establishment, when in fact, health is, you know, sort of everything else. It's the way you live your life, the way you nourish your body, the way you treat your body, that, you know, all of it, um, including your community engagements, your relationships, um, your stress level, all of that goes into making you healthy and well. So much prenatal care um, is delivered in a fear-based model where you're constantly screened and evaluated for risks that may or may not apply to you. And for a lot of women, that pushes them down the road to feeling like they're very fragile or that they don't have any say in what happens to them. Right. And um, that's not to say that, you know, many, many women need medical interventions. Thank God they're available. And, you know, you were mentioning the CVS, cryonic villi sampling, which is part of the um, genetic screening capabilities that we have now to find out whether or not um, your baby has some, you know, potentially life-threatening or life-altering genetic anomalies. Some women are into it. Some women are not into it. But a lot of women don't even realize that it's actually a choice. Right. Yeah. So I know that you have some you know, family history that made it really important to you. Well, yeah, I, um, I, my sister has a son with Prader-Willi syndrome. And so, you know, without a doubt, I was going to do as, as much genetic testing as mm-hmm. I could. And mm-hmm. then one of my best friends, babies died of, son died of Tay-Sachs. Yeah. And I had the ectopic and there was just too much. There was yeah. just too much that I, you know, I've, too much around me and my personal, and because of my sister and then my friend Emily, they both are really involved in the community. So I know a ton of people with kids with rare genetic diseases and mm-hmm. kids who've died. And so it was like, I, you know, that's kind of, I saw so much. So I, um, it, it, put, it put me off for a while. It definitely created a fear for me in, in having kids. My sister's life is pretty tough mm-hmm. and, um, and watching Emily lose Ronan. And so, um, it was kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. So for you then, having this testing provided a lot of relief. It did until I got that news where they said, you know, and it was interesting because there was, a, there was di- different numbers. You know, one person was like, the baby has 50% chance of having it. And 50% is a lot. And so yeah. I was so numb and and I couldn't get out of bed. I wasn't crying. I was just numb. Mm-hmm. Um and it turned out it wasn't 50%. It, it's, it was very, very complicated, you know, genetics is and the chromosomes. And so it, um, I had to get the CVS and the waiting period was really stressful. But they said two weeks and it wasn't. It was quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, they, and, they, and finally they called yesterday or two days ago with the full panel. They did like everything and there's a little hiccup and it's nothing that you know would cause me to terminate and it's nothing but it's like you know a small hiccup that otherwise we would have never known about mm-hmm. um and I don't, I don't know if it's a good thing or it's just interesting it's like yeah. so much knowledge now yeah. you know you gotta wonder i mean do you really need all that knowledge? I mean, I, I'm not saying that I'm not trying to make it sound like I don't think people should have that knowledge. I'm just saying that once you have it, it no, I, be, I get it. I totally yeah, it can be saying. real Pandora's box. But yeah, yeah, I mean, from 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 now on, though, it's just like I have my I have my uh, you know what do you call it? ultra blanking on an ultrasound next Thursday, and then I have another like second trimester screening in January, but there won't be any more you know as far as I know, invasive testing and, yeah, and the, you know, the CBS was pretty scary. I think it was more scary for my husband in the, which is the case, I think with a lot of things, you know, mm-hmm. it's scarier for the person that's not going through it, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. I think that um, part of my definition for a fear-based pregnancy is also that so much information is related to pregnant women in terms of risk values. And yeah. women will often hear, well, you're at increased risk for, you know, this complication. And sometimes increased mi you know, risk, the increase is so minimal that it still means that you have a 99.5% chance that it's not going to happen to you. Right. But because it's presented to women as you have this risk, women become really frightened. Nobody, I mean, there is no time in your life, I think, when you feel more is at stake and more vulnerable at the same time as when you're pregnant and somebody says something that could potentially threaten your well-being and your baby's well-being. Oh, I, I mean, I completely agree with you. And and I think that it's that way with so, so much, you know, in life. And yeah. look at politics, you know, with fear, fear, fear. And I know. And with so much information that we have all the time, I think it's inevitable. Yeah. So I just really uh, encourage all women to just look at the chance that they're completely normal. And it's almost always the bigger number. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, you're going to have a good experience no matter what happens. I have so far. I yeah. really, you know, my sister's like, you, your skin is glowing. I had acne. No, I don't have that. And I haven't had one ounce of morning sickness. And I Lucky. feel <laughs> the best I've ever felt um, physically. Uh -huh. I just have huge boobs. So it's kind of uncomfortable. And I'm only three months in. So I, God knows what's going to happen in a few more. <laughs> but I feel really, really, really good. And I think, you know, I drink a lot. I drink a lot of um, wine, and I'm not obviously drinking. And I think that's also helping, you know, just mm -hmm. how I'm like, wow, who knew? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is what it feels like to not have a headache. Huh. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot of, um, you know, I have a little bit of coffee. Like this morning I have decaf mixed with a little bit of regular, but uh -huh. I was drinking so much coffee before. So like the lack of coffee, the lack of caffeine and alcohol and then the hormones, I just, I feel great. Good for you. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. Feel great. Thank you. Yeah. So I want to, I like to ask every mom that I talk to their take on the question, what's your family like right now? And where are you in your life as a mom? What, okay, um, my hear I don't have hearing aids, and you said, "What is my family like or life like? What, what what constitutes your family right now?" Right now, um, my family is my husband and I, but we're both really close with our families. So, in fact, he talks to his parents in London every single day, and I'm so close with my sister and my nephews and my mom. So, family is a really important idea to us. But right now, in terms of you know, our home. It's just my husband and I. Uh -huh. um, and what was the next part? What's it going to be like? No. Where are you in your life as a mom? Oh, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I'm a mom to so many people because of sort of the role I've adopted and what I do as this, you know, listener. The irony, you know, that I'm mm -hmm. mostly deaf is funny. Mm -hmm. But, um, it's not like I know what I'm doing any better than anyone else. Lord knows. But somehow um, I feel like I'm, especially with my retreats and my workshops, and I create these groups and they get so close. And so there's a maternal feeling. So I feel like a mom already in a way. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I don't know. You know, I, I it, was, it was always hard to visualize myself as, like, even when I say my baby, it sounds really awkward. Mm -hmm. So, I so guess like when you learn to say my husband, it you know it doesn't take as long. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe it did. I don't remember. You know, we've been married almost six years. Um, I don't know. I, I it's it's weird. It definitely still feels awkward to me. Even mm -hmm. saying I'm pregnant, I get like, I, what? Mm. No, I'm not. Not me. Ew. Ew. <laughs> I don't like that word, actually. Isn't it weird? I don't know why the word makes me like, Ugh. Yeah, it's just one of those words for you. Pregnant. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. so I don't, I don't, I mean, it's a good question. I definitely, when I thought I wasn't having kids, it was funny because everyone, everyone was like, you're a mom already. You're so maternal. You're a mom to everyone. And um, I do think there's something maternal about me. I, I try to take care of people. 
so emotionally mainly um I've always been very maternal and nurturing and taking care of a lot of people too and prior to having children I started having children at 27 um you know people in our friend group would say oh you're the mom of the group and it didn't bother me and then after I had children and people would say the same thing to me I felt really guarded about it I felt like I'm not your mom I am her mom her mom her mom her mom and his mom those that makes are the sense. People. I've heard people yeah. say that before. Yeah, and and the other that the relationship that I have where it's maternal and nurturing and caring um, for other people, that's a different relationship. Mm-hmm. And then in in a lot of the you know, professional and personal circles that I hang out, I'm older than a lot of people. You know, I'm and my kids are are older, so that puts me in this category of woman. How do you define her? Well, she's in a mom group. Therefore, you know, I'm, but I'm, I'm a lot more protective of that title than I ever was before children. I'm their mom. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to do this again with you in, in the summer, you know, and, and I, I mean, I'll be honest, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't even have, you know, I have your book. And I was so grateful to get it because Jeannie, that's the first pregnancy book I have. I was oh, so good, excited. I, good. I like read it all, you know, and I, you already but read I, don't, it? I, I don't have, yeah, I mean, I read it like in, in the, you know, how in the forward you said you could read it in chunks or read it straight through. Yeah. So I read like, I didn't quite read like the delivery. I read all the stuff up to like, that was relevant yeah. for right now. Right. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't have like all the books people get. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, so and somehow way before we had books women still figured out how to do this thing you know yeah no it's funny I guess it's just interesting because I'm older like in my head I'm like I should know these things and um I'm okay with it I'm I am gonna figure it out but Mm -hmm. it's um it's funny because I really don't I don't I love children babies have always been like eh I could do without the baby and and I'm like (laughs) they're messy and noisy <laughs> I've always joked like I re- yeah I would love a kid like two two years old can't they just come out like being two you know <laughs> so um yeah. and I've never been baby crazy I've some friends that are crazy for babies and I'm like eh babies are boring <laughs> and then it's like people are like well wait, wait till it's your own you're not gonna think that yeah that's I you know cliche as it is that's probably true I'm sure of course yeah. so yeah. ready. our but own I'm, babies are endlessly fascinating yeah, but especially especially after you have one, you yeah. know. I I think the reason I like children is because they engage more, you yeah. know, and the things they say. And um, but it's funny. I've been like lately feeling worried because I'm not. I mean, I've gained weight because I'm eating like a crazy person, um, literally. <laughs> and my boobs are huge, but my I'm not showing it. Like if you mm-hmm. saw me, you. Although this man on the plane asked me, it was so weird. I I kept getting up to pee, and I said, "Well, I'm pregnant." And he goes, "I was wondering," and I was like, "Okay, that's really weird because he's never met me. He had no, and I don't look it." And he said, "Well, I'm a doctor. You just have this glow about you," which I thought was I don't know if he was pulling my leg or like, you know, I'm like, what am I? Because I, I don't think I look it. Like if you saw me, I mean, go look at the video I made today. You can't really tell. No, you can't but, really tell. But you know, if if somebody is in the business and they spend an awful lot of time with pregnant women, you know, you can pick up that vibe. So interesting. So, but my belly isn't showing yet, and so then all of a sudden I'm like, I hope everything's okay. I hope everything, you know, because I don't look it yet. You know, you, you have this weird thing that some women have called abdominal tone. <laughs> you have a, you have stomach muscles. It's great. Uh, yeah. You may not show much, you know, for a long time. It's great. It's normal. It's fine. I don't, it's no, I, oh, I, I don't have like a six pack. I've always, it's funny because I've always had a pooch. That's where I, oh, I mean, even when I was severely anorexic, maybe not that, but I've always, I always have like a little, that's where I carry my weight, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I suffer with a lot of um, indigestion, uh, digestive issues. So sometimes I look pregnant. So I'm like, I can't, I look no different than I do and I'm really bloated. <laughs> <laughs> mm, how many weeks are you now? Um, they moved me up. I thought it, my due date was June 11th, so now it's June 4th. So I think I'm like 13. Wow. Wow. So, so you're going to have a Gemini. Yeah, they say. I mean, who knows? I've got one of those. June 9th. 
June fourth. They say. I yeah. mean, we'll see. We'll yeah. we'll see. Yeah. I mean, you know. But um. Well, lady, we've been talking a good long time. Yes, it was great to talk to you. It was good to talk to you too. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. Mama said. Our guest today was Jen Pasteloff. You can learn more about Jen's work at jenniferpasteloff.com. Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios in Portland, Oregon. You can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. You can find my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, on amazon.com, Barnes & Nobles, and everywhere books are sold. Uh, you can email me, jean at jeanfaulkner, tweet me at jeanfaulkner, Thanks for joining me on Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting. Please subscribe, share, leave us a rating on iTunes if you feel so inclined. And again, thanks for joining me. There's so much more to talk about. Bye-bye.